Hey there, podcast listeners. My name is Bryant Manning, and I serve as the pastor here at the Wesley Foundation at FSU and TCC. We are a campus ministry of the United Methodist Church on the campus of Florida State University here in Tallahassee, Florida. These sermons that we're presenting here are designed, written, and presented for college students who are exploring their lives of faith and growing in their walk with Jesus. And our hope and prayer is that you too will be inspired by these messages, that you will learn something about the scriptures, and that you'll leave with your life transformed by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much from the bottom of our heart for listening. I want to give a message this morning called Actions Speak Loud. This, we're going to talk through probably a familiar passage if you grew up in church, but but I want to talk this morning about what it's like to live the way you say that you live, to do the things that you say that you do, to actually behave in the way that you've been called to behave. And so I want to pray before we start, but that's where we're going to go this morning. Let's bow our heads. Gracious God, we welcome you into this space, knowing this space is not ours, but yours. Speak to our hearts, O God. Give us the courage to open our ears. Give us the courage to look deep within ourselves to find you and the truth that you want us to hear. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In your sight alone, O God, you are our rock. You are our redeemer. We love you. We praise you. Amen. There are a few things that are true in life, just in general. There are a few things that are just true in life. Garen's going to help us put them up here uh, for us. A few things that are just at, oh, we're going to get to that in a second. My bad, Garen. My bad, Garen. That's the scripture. We will get to it, I promise. Uh, A few things that are true in life. He's going to it now. It is coming now. There we go. All right, Garen. few things that are true in life, because you're going to agree with me. I hope you agree with me. And if you don't, just keep it, to your, keep it to yourself. Bobby Bowden is the greatest football coach of all time. And uh, the high holy Reverend Dr. Mike Norvell is the second. Can we just say for a second how good of a troll it was that the marching chiefs spelled out the score to the LSU game and played their anthem during... What? Okay. Another thing that I know to be true, and of course this had to be up there, Jesus is Lord. And yes, that is the most obnoxious PNG I could find on Google. If you Google Jesus transparent PNG, that is the first option. And I said, it will do. And then the next one, which is going to seem like it's out of left field, but medical expenses are way out of control in this country. Can we just say that? If, if you have, again, another obnoxious PNG, but if you have, a lot of you don't have to deal with this because you're currently on mom and dad's insurance. And stay on that as long as the government will let you do it, even if you have to pay mom and dad a little money. Mom and dad who are here, they can pay a little money when they get out of school. It's okay. But keep them on that insurance because it is so ungodly expensive. My wife and I had a, a couple of babies in our, our past <laughs> 
We still have them. But, you know, we, we went to the hospital and had them. And here's how the billing works. This is not a joke. You go in there, you, you do, you know, they take good care of you. You go, you spend time in mother, baby, and um, finally you get to go home. And when you go home, you start to get these letters in the mail that have, like, bills, not just from the hospital. You get one from the hospital. You get one from the doctor. You get one from the doctor that gave you the drugs. You get one from a nurse. I don't know. You get it from all kinds. If anything went wrong, you get it from another thing. And you, at some point, you're like, well, how much did this baby cost? You don't know. You have no idea how much it costs because it just keeps going. If you've ever had your blood drawn, you know that you probably have to go to like a lab to get your blood drawn. So there are places that exist that you can just go to, get your blood drawn. You sh- usually go early in the morning because you have to fast before it, and they're going to take it, and they're going to put something in your arm. And, it, it, and, uh, and anybody pass out when they do this? Yeah, a few of us are like this, yes. Um, and, and then they're going to take a vial of blood. And the first time I ever had this happen, uh, they took a vial of blood, and then they took another one, and then they took, and I was like, at what point are we done here, right? (laughs) Like, I know that, you know, medical medical expenses are out of control in the country. There there is, I'm going to tell you a story this morning about somebody who thought they could take care of, particularly of the vials of blood, okay? And uh, this, this is a company called Theranos, right? Those of you who know this story know where this is going, This is a company called Theranos. It was started by this woman. She was actually 19 when she started it, 2004, named Elizabeth Holmes. This is her. She currently, spoiler alert, sits in prison. But she had this idea that instead of having to take a vial of blood and a vial of blood and a vial of blood in order to to try to solve like what's going on in your body to predict things like cancer and diseases, she she said, well, we could develop just one machine, a little box, they called it the Edison box, and you would prick your finger, just one little drop of blood, like diabetics have to do often, just one drop of blood, and you would put it in there and it would test your blood for like 200. It sounds too good to be true. Right? By the time she was 19, she had raised $700 million to do this project. And she had hired a whole bunch of top researchers to do this. And she had gone about the way that she was going to make a lot of money. By 2014, they had a valuation of $9 billion, and she owned 50% of the company. $9 billion. So do the math. How much does that make her worth? Four and a half. Pretty good. Pretty good. A lot of money. A lot of money. And then there was this guy. His name is Tyler. Say Tyler. Tyler is what we call now a whistleblower. He worked there for 8 to 12 months, and he realized very quickly that the 400 Walgreens stores that were using this box were using a fake box, or that the research that was happening was not really happening, that they couldn't do the things that they said that they could do by this. And so he spoke up. Now, I want to tell you an interesting story about Tyler because his grandfather is George Schultz. Say, George. George was on the board of Theranos. George is also, just happened by happenstance, a former Secretary of State for Ronald Reagan. I mean, this, he's a big deal, right? This is a guy who has, like, made it in life. He's now on the board of this $9 billion company. This would be a big deal. But he's the grandfather of the whistleblower. And when Tyler started to bring things up, he went to the Wall Street Journal, and they wrote an article about this. The grandfather refused to believe him. 
Why would the grandfather choose to believe Elizabeth over Tyler? He did it, he said later, because Elizabeth went to, he got her this gig where she went to this place where she spoke to military personnel from across the branches, and she told them that this was going to change their life. And he said, anybody who speaks with that much charisma and that much power to people who are literally giving their lives for their country, she can't be lying. But the truth was, she was. And in 2020, 2021, she was convicted of four counts of defrauding the investors and sentenced to prison where she sits today. I was thinking maybe we add something else to the list that we had before of things that are true in life. Go ahead and put it up there, Garen. Lying is one of the worst things you can do to someone else. Right now, uh, it's easy to look at stories like that and say, okay, she shouldn't have done that. She shouldn't have said what she said. She shouldn't. But the truth is we have all done this in our own lives. We have all lied to somebody that we love. We have all lied to somebody who we care about, but because it was in our best interest in the moment, we had to choose to be different than our word. Our word was going to have to take a branch off of who we were, that lying is one of the worst things. Why? Because it breaks down trust. I want to go to this passage, and Garen, you'll have to go backwards a little bit. My bad, dude. Um, To this passage out of Matthew's gospel. This is Matthew 7. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise builder who built a house on bedrock. The rain fell. The floods came. The wind blew and beat against that house. And it didn't fall because it was firmly set on bedrock. But everybody hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice, will be like a fool who built his house on sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the wind blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and it was completely destroyed. This comes out of seventh chapter of Matthew. For the previous two chapters, five, six, and then seven, Matthew is giving what's called the Sermon on the Mount. Guess where he gave it? Yeah, very good. Uh, and, he, and he gave this message. It's probably the most important words that he gave throughout all of Scripture, maybe other than like it is finished or things that he said on the cross. It is looked to as the most perfect sermon that's ever been preached. And in it, he kind of describes what his ministry is. And he goes through all kinds of things, these famous things that exist within the, the Sermon on the Mount. The Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You've heard this before. That's the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. The Lord's Prayer, the prayer that we say in church a lot. That comes, the instructions on how to pray that comes from the Sermon on the Mount. That's Matthew 6. And in Matthew 7, he says the golden rule, basically. What is the golden rule? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That comes from earlier in this chapter. And then here he is at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, and he says what we just read. Uh, 
Garen, go back to the beginning of that, verse 24. Everybody who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise builder who built a house on bedrock. Everybody who hears what I say and then puts them into practice is like a wise builder who built a house on bedrock. Oftentimes, if you've heard this, this passage before in, in a church service, the focus has been on the rock. Build your house upon the rock of Jesus and everything will be okay. And that's true. But look what he says earlier. Everybody who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, they're the ones who are building their house on the rock. Do you see how the hearing is important and the putting into practice is important? Because at that point, then the bedrock comes. He says, all the things that I just told you, blessed are the poor in spirit. Pray to God like this. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. All of those things, unless you put them into practice, it's like building your house on sand, is what he said. We know this instinctually, don't we? We know this because when somebody lies to us, when somebody doesn't do what they say they're going to do, it hurts us. It might be harder for you to figure out a time that you lied to somebody because you're going to have to deal with the humility thing for a second, but it's real easy for you to think about the time someone lied to you. That's real easy. You can think of five right now. You're like, that that was not trustworthy what they did, and it lost that place of trust. I think this is also true for us, just for us to kind of internally wrestle with a little bit here. Because we believe a lot of things. We say that we believe a lot of things. We, we want to, we publicly declare a lot of things. We believe a lot of things. But when the going gets tough, we often do things that we probably shouldn't do or don't, who go against our belief system. Like for instance, I believe that as an academic, as somebody who studies things, I should do my best. That's how the learning works. If I go to class and I read the book and I listen to lecture and I do the work, the idea is that I come out with a learning goal achieved. Are you with me? Like teachers literally write, like, here's what I want them to learn from this, this, and this, right? And then what happens? You go to lecture half the time. You study a lot less than you're supposed to, right? Like a lot less. You read the book, maybe, and then what happens? You get to the night before and you're like, ah, who do I know? Who do I know that, uh, who do I know that's done this class before? <laughs> who do I know that has uh, this paper? Ah, could I read their, I'm not going to copy it because, you know, they find it. But like, could I get some ideas? Or my favorite new, chat.openai.com. <laughs> Let me put in the prompt for my thing. Because at the, some, we, we believe in our heart that we should do that thing, but when it comes to doing it, sometimes other things get in the way. I believe that I should be honest about all things. Honest, like totally honest, because it's way better when we're honest with each other. But the truth is, we've all been up against the wall, haven't we? We've all been up against the wall, and what happens when we're up against the wall? We're, our first instinct is not often to admit fault. Our first instinct is to come up with some sort of excuse 
Or my favorite, someone else to blame who's not me. We believe that we're supposed to be honest. We would say that in a church small group. But when it comes time, do we actually practice it? This one's going to hurt Biz College, and so I just got to say it, and I'm not going to say much about it. But most of us believe that sex, I said it, belongs in healthy relationships. I'll let you finish the rest. Committed, I would say as a pastor, a married relationship. But a lot of times our beliefs, we would declare them to our parents. We would declare them to the world. We would want them to see something. And then when the going gets tough, we get up against the wall. Yeah. That's the disconnect. And the truth is, is that over time, those foundations that we've built, they start to crack. I live in a house that Wesley uh, provides for me, which is great. I don't have any choice on where to live, but I get to live there, so that's great. Um, it currently has foundation problems, which is great when you're living in it. <laughs> and uh, basically, if you don't understand how houses are built, there's this uh, hopefully level layer of, of concrete that is poured and strengthened, and that we call the slab or the foundation, and then everything is built upon that, okay? So the piping and all of that goes through uh, all of that, and then you build up with the, um, with the wood and the drywall and all that comes up from it. But here in Tallahassee, as I'm learning, there's this like clay in the ground, and the clay has a tendency to swell and then deflate and swell and then deflate. And then over the course of time, that foundation that is sitting on that clay eventually starts to move with it because concrete is only so good. And uh, so I started to notice this because in our daughter Collins's room, we would open the door. And uh, when we went to close it, we realized it was, it was rubbing up against the door. Anybody ever experienced this in their house? Yeah, the door is starting to rub. The interns know what I'm talking about because every door in their apartment does it right now. Uh, but it started to rub up against the, the door frame. And so I, I've done this a bunch of times. Usually it's like a, a hinge that's kind of, you know, off kilter or whatever. And you can kind of see where it's close up here, but over up there. And so you just take the off and tap the hinge a little bit, maybe screw it in and you're good to go. And I went to look at it and I went, I was going to go do that. And I realized that it was really rubbing on the bottom uh, on the left and also on the right, which that's not normal. That means that the frame is swelling. You know what I'm saying? The frame has moved a little bit. Then I started to think, oh, this is probably bigger than what I realized. And so I went, I started to realize at that point that there were a bunch of cracks in the drywall because this is what happens when everything is put square. And then over the course of time, because the drywall is screwed in, if that wood starts to move, the drywall has no option except to crack. And you can start to see this. And it was like the whole world was opened up to me because I saw the door and I looked up and I saw the drywall. And I looked over and I saw the drywall. And then all the way around the room, I saw, and then I went into the next room and I saw the drywall and I saw another crack. And it was like they started to come out. 
I started to see more and more and more. That might have been there the whole time, but all of a sudden they were making themselves aware. So I sent this email to our board, and I was like, hate to reach out to you like this, but uh, should I move my family? <laughs> and, uh, and they were like, okay, we're going to have somebody come out. And fortunately, the conference has great insurance. And so they brought somebody out. Uh, and it was a little scary because they told me, he walked in and he said, uh, I'm going to do a sinkhole investigation. And I thought, uh-oh, <laughs> should I leave like right now? My dog's here, you know? Like, should I leave? And he was like, no, it's probably fine. And he goes and he takes tons of samples of the soil and he takes photos of every little corner of everything. And and then he gets to the end and he says, well, uh, I don't think there's a sinkhole. Good news. Bad news, your foundation is broken. And so we call in a contractor to come in and give us a quote on what it would take to repair the, contra- repair the foundation. And he says, you know, if we repair the foundation, that's fine. But given this neighborhood, I'm just telling you, I've done other houses in this neighborhood. We can repair the drywall. We'll, we'll cut it back and we'll fill it in and we'll repaint it. And we can do that. But eventually it's all going to happen again because of the clay. I started to realize that it's so metaphorical. Because... When we start to do those things that break the foundation, you start to see the results everywhere else. You start to see the results everywhere else. We have these internal beliefs. You can put that line up there, Garen. We have these internal beliefs that we believe We would say them, we would tell them to our parents, we would tell them to our friends, and if we were up against the rock, we would would believe them. But then, sometimes they don't match the external. And James 1, one of my favorite books in all of Scripture, he says, says, uh, do not merely just read the words, do what they say. The thing is, is if we have internal beliefs and they don't get externalized, then they're no good. They do nothing. James would say the faith without works is dead. That's what he says. And so if, if we have this internal belief structure and then we don't put it into practice, like Jesus says, we're building our house on the sand. And the cracks are going to come, the rain's going to come, the wind's going to come, and guess what? That house is going to wash away. But... If we build it on the rock, the foundation, man, won't it stay firm when the rains come? I would encourage you to do some internal thinking. Man, who is it that I want to be? Not just who is I want to be for the next four years. Who, not just who is it I want to be until I get to this next year or I, I finally get into my major. Or Who is it that I want to be? How is it that I'm going to be defined? Who is it I'm going to listen to? That will answer the question then of how am I going to behave? What am I going to do? And when you get into those situations where you're like, ah, I know I believe that. Oh, hopefully in the back of your mind you think, The internal needs to become external. The internal needs to become external. I'll say one more word and I'll be done. Christians, 
folks, we're real bad at this. We're like real bad at this. I was talking to a friend the other day. I was talking about all of the problems that have existed of pastoral leadership in the past, people who have done inappropriate things. You know who I'm talking about. The ones that make the news, the ones who, um, not, not the ones who bought the fancy cars and stuff, although maybe them too, but like the, the ones who actually committed some sort of wrongdoing and then were publicly charged for it. And a lot of it is, is like, you know, it's like adultery and things like that, which happens all the time. And so I had a friend who was like, man, I don't understand why they always pointed out with the pastors and was like, well, That's because the internal has to become external. That's because actions speak loud. And so we're really good at being hypocritical. It's actually one of the top things Jesus calls out in all of Scripture. And what I'm inviting you to is to let your actions reflect your words. To let the external reflect the internal. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Wesley Foundation and FSU and TCC. We hope this was uplifting to you and helpful in your walk with Jesus. If you would like to support us, we would love your prayerful and financial support. You can give online at fsuwesley.com or on Venmo by just searching FSU Wesley Foundation. Thanks again.